All right. Good morning, everybody. Let there be light. There we go. Absolutely. That was the world's shortest intro video clip, by the way. You just witnessed it right there. We are so glad that you are here. My name is John Anderson. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, would love to do that afterwards. Let me just say we love it that you are here. We love new people at Hope, and uh, we pray that you feel loved and welcomed today. If you are new, or maybe you've been away for a few weeks and you're getting caught up, or you maybe just forgot where we're at. We're in the middle of a series of messages called the Jesus Run. No, we're not running literally uh, with Jesus, but we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the reasons I love going through the Gospels during this this season of Lent that we're in, these 40 days that are leading up to Easter, is we really get a picture, and you kind of feel like You're walking with Jesus literally through these stories right up to Holy Week and Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, all those services we'll be having here, and then ultimately on Easter. And so if you're reading along at home, which I pray that you always are, and following through with the daily Bible readings, you're reading along in the Gospel of Matthew with us, and I would encourage you to do that. Another way that our creative team came up with to kind of help us stay on track is as you look around the worship center, you see these different images that represent Uh, Each one of those corresponds to a different theme that is in these stories that we're going through. And so today we're talking about the harvest, so we have our wheat back there uh, in the corner. But each one of these is going to represent one of those stories as we walk through Matthew. Another reason, another way that we're following uh, through is over here on our our boat uh, that we've got. The the team has some painters on it, and so they're creating uh, this mural that's going to flow on the outside of the canvas uh, of the boat. And so that's where we started a couple weeks ago with Jesus calling his disciples, many of which were fishermen, uh, out of the boat. So that's one reason we have a boat uh, on our stage. The other reason is I've always wanted to preach from a boat, and so I did that a couple weeks ago. So that dream came through. I thought Jesus preached from a boat sometimes, so maybe that would be good for me uh, to do as well. It's not the first random thing that we've done here at Hope Des Moines. We've done uh, some things that are maybe even a little bit more odd than having a boat uh, on stage. It's not, not, maybe not the most traditional way of doing church. And that's, I mean, if you think like, man, we're kind of a traditional church, need I remind you that you're sitting in a former car dealership right now having worship. So uh, that's kind of blown wide open. And the reason I mention that is because one of our values at Hope is that we worship God, not tradition. Let's say that together nice and loud. We worship God, not tradition. So what does that mean? Some of you are like, oh, but traditions are good. They are, absolutely. And we have our traditions. Some of you are like, well, I mean, Hope is not a very traditional Lutheran church. I mean, we're in a car dealership. We've got a rock band up here. I mean, you can wear whatever you want to church. I mean, the pastor is wearing jeans. Like, what is going on, right? Well, we have our traditions as well. How many of you are, I'm not going to do a show of hands, I can see you. I know where you're sitting. Some of you sit in the exact same spot every single week. Like, I'm not traditionalist, right? Yeah, you are. We're we're creatures of habit in, in our own ways, but we worship God, not tradition. This is more about making the main thing the main thing. Some of you grew up in very traditional church settings. I did uh, as well. And so it doesn't matter if we have hymnals and robes or if we have a screen and electric guitars. God can be worshipped in a variety of ways, and the goal is to major in the majors and minor in the minors, right? And we keep the main thing the main thing. And so in that spirit of kind of uh, doing things that are maybe a little bit uh, out of the ordinary and keeping you on your toes in a little bit, I'm going to be joined up here on stage by Chris, who you met earlier, who's our young adult minister, and we are going to co-preach the sermon today. Like, not at the same time preach, but go back and forth, and we're going to kind of do it like WWF style, where we tap in and tap out and come back in, and we're going to co-preach. So there's going to be two preachers on the stage at the same time. Some of you are like, like my mind is just blown, right? It's because we worship God, not 
tradition. We're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go along. But if you have your Bibles today, I want to jump into our story from Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. If you need one, there are plenty in the back. That's what they're there for. Or take out your phone uh, or your favorite Bible app, and I would encourage you to follow along. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus is well into his ministry now. He's called the disciples. Last week, we saw him doing some healing and miracles, preaching the good news. And now we get some clarity on what he's here for. Because we, we have hindsight, it's always twenty twenty, right? But for those people that are encountering this rabbi from Nazareth, the question is, what is he all about? And if we're going to be a church that is the body of Christ, that is a church after Jesus' own heart, we should probably know what our mission is as well. And so today, if you've ever wondered, like, what's up with Lutheran Church of Hope? Like, what are they all about? Today is a great day to be here. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, great day to be here, neighbor. Tell him that right now. It's a great day to be here. Great choice. Matthew chapter 9 is a great picture of that. And so we pick it up in verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest then to send out workers into his harvest field. So just in these few verses, there's a lot to unpack there, but I want you to remember three key ideas that I want to highlight for you today. Number one is this. We read that Jesus went into all the towns and villages. Everybody say all. 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 Oh, you're the 11 o'clock service. Everybody say all. 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 All right. You've had plenty of coffee by now, so all, right? You with me, right? Jesus went into all the towns and villages, meaning he didn't stay in one place, and he went into all the towns and villages. That means that Jesus was encountering people and cultures and customs and traditions that were not like him. In fact, Jesus, one of the many things that he got in trouble for was hanging out with all the people that he shouldn't have been hanging out with. All the people that society had kind of pushed to the side or that were outcasts or all the people that weren't like him. Jews don't hang out with Samaritans, and yet he did it. Rabbis aren't supposed to hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, and yet he did it. Because Jesus went to all the towns and villages, not just the places that he was comfortable with or the people like him. So Jesus went to all people. Everybody say all. In other words, Jesus is demonstrating this first key point. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone, not just the religious types, and some of you are sitting here today, you still don't consider yourself a very churchy person. You're like, I like it here. I kind of found a church home here, but I'm not a very, you know, religious or spiritual or churchy person. Good news, Jesus wasn't either. In fact, those are the people that he butted heads with the most. Okay, so you fit right in. Jesus is for everybody. Number two, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. So when Jesus said that, it would have made a lot of sense to his disciples or to those that were reading this, in Jesus' day, it was an agricultural society. In those days, in that climate, they raised a lot of crops. And when you're driving down here in Des Moines, when you're driving down Interstate 80 or or, or 35, and you kind of get out of the city a little bit, what's on either side of the road? Fields, right? The crops, the corn, the beans, right? The wheat, whatever it is, and you're driving down. And so if Jesus is walking down the road with his disciples, he says the harvest is plentiful. And so anybody in that day and age to hear that, and if you grew up on a farm or if you're a farmer here today, if the harvest is plentiful and it's October or November, it's time to go, right? So Jesus saying the harvest is plentiful, that means the mission is urgent. If the harvest is plentiful, you don't say, well, I'll get around to it when I get around to it, when I'm in a better season of life, when I have more free time. No, the farmers are like, if we don't get the harvest now, it's not going to happen. And the same is true with God's mission. We are called to go on mission. Jesus says, I'm inviting you 
into this. And the final thing that Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The laborers are few. There's a lot of work to be done, and more harvesters are needed, a.k.a. you are needed. You are needed. So what do those three statements mean for us as a church here in 2018? Number one, Jesus is for everyone. And if Jesus is for everyone, we're called to be a church for everyone as well. And we kind of demonstrate that. You're a very different group of people. Every single morning, there's a different group of people every single week. But I want to challenge you, speaking of getting out of your comfort zone, sorry, introverts like me, just go with me for a second here, okay? I want you to get really uncomfortable for a second, and I want you to turn around and just give a big old smile to the person sitting behind you. Just look around. Just do it. Everybody's doing it. Just look at them and smile, right? Just look at them, right? Just smile, wave. There you go. Absolutely. Make them feel really uncomfortable. Some of you that are introverts are like, I'm never coming back. That was terrible. That was awkward. You're brothers and sisters in Christ, but you know what? You have that in common. You're a very diverse church. We've got room to grow in our diversity, and we want to grow in that, but you're very different. All of you come from different backgrounds. We've got people from the city. We've got people from the suburbs. We've got Lutherans. We've got non-Lutherans. We've got people that are young. We've got people that are young in heart, and we've got, uh, see what I did there? And we've got Republicans and Democrats. We've got left wing and right wing and, and everywhere in between. we got the whole bird here, okay? Uh, we've got people that are from church backgrounds and non-church backgrounds, from different racial backgrounds, uh, people that uh, are maybe, some of you in our community here, have a home, and some of you don't. That's our diversity showing through in, in a lot of different ways, and yet we're different, and yet we're better because of it. Not in spite of it, but because of it. And one of the things that we say at Hope a lot around that idea is that we're better together. Everybody say we're better together. We like actually believe that. We really believe that we're better because we have different generations, which is one of the things I love about our community is we've got young, and we've got young at heart, and we've got everybody in between, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities. That's a good thing. So we want to surround ourselves, we're going to be like Jesus, with people that aren't like us, that we can learn from. And yet, despite our diversity, there is one thing that is big enough to unite us. We live in a divided world, more than ever. And yet, with the, biggest, the biggest, strongest thing that's out there to unite us is Jesus. How else would a group like us all end up at the same place here at the same time? It's because Jesus' mission is what unites us more than our preferences and our opinions. I was reminded a couple months ago uh, after worship, I try to you know, connect with as many of you as I can, and I had a lady come up to me almost before I left the stage. She comes up to me, and she kind of had that look on her face. I was like, oh, no, what did I do in the sermon? What did I say you know, that offended her or something like that? And she said, you know, Pastor John, can I talk to you for a minute? And she had that look, and she, said, she came up and said, Pastor John, I, I, need to, I need to talk to you about the music here at Hope Des Moines. And I was like, oh, no, I know where this is going, right? I'm sure the music was too loud or the electric guitar player was too crazy, you know, and, and everything. And here's the deal with our production people in the back. They are incre- they have an incredible team. They have a rough job because the only time that they hear it is when something goes wrong, right? The only time they get feedback, right? So if you think of it, give them a high five and thank them for all their work back there today. They do an incredible job. Um, <laughs> There you go. Little, little ill-advised shout out there. Um, but this lady comes up and says, I need to talk to you about the music. And I said, okay, tell me more about that. And she's, I'm just bracing myself for the complaints that are coming here. She says, I want you to know that not every song we do here is necessarily my favorite. 
okay, I'm not sure what to do with that. She said, you know, it's not necessarily the style that I would lean towards or the music that I would listen to in, in my car. And sometimes it annoys me a little bit and it's not my thing or it's too loud. And I'm like, okay, I see where this is going, right? And then it just turned a corner and she says, but I look at people around me. I look at the people that are sitting next to me that are very, very different than I am. And she says, they're worshiping with all of their heart. And they're praising God. All of us, in all our differences, worshiping and praising God. And she says, I see us growing as a church and new people coming in and meeting Jesus and their lives being changed. And she said, I want you to know because of that, I'm all for it. Even if it doesn't sit well with me, I'm all for it. And we talk about our values a lot, and we can put them up on the screen and say we worship God, not tradition, but that is a value lived out. That's we worship God, not my tradition. We worship God, not my opinion. We worship God, not my personal preference. It's finding unity in our mission, not all having the same opinions about how church should be done. Let's major in the majors and let's minor in the minors. And that's what I, we love about you as a church. Having your own preferences and opinions is fine, but what we love about you as a church is that you're all passionate about the same thing. It seems to be. That's why you're here. You're here for Jesus, not just the donut holes. The kids are passionate about the donut holes, but it seems like most of you are here because we're passionate about Jesus. That's why we exist. That's what binds us together. Because the mission is too important to let ourselves get distracted by smaller things. We're a church for everybody. Number two, the harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, which means the mission is urgent. So back to this lady's story. Because the reason that makes sense is because our primary identity as a church is people that are on mission. This isn't a club that you buy into assuming that you're going to like everything or that nobody's ever going to annoy you or rub you the wrong way. We're humans. We clearly demonstrated this morning that we are not a perfect church, so we don't have that going for us, right? If you're looking for a perfect church, this is not it, okay? And we're different. The primary question we ask, if you are on a life-changing mission, the primary question is not, when, you know, when you walk in those doors every week, the call is not to walk in and say, Oh, man, what am I going to get out of this today? What's in it for me? Nobody got me a cup of coffee. Nobody welcomed me out the door. Man, I hope the sermon's not boring today. I hope we sing the songs that I want to sing. And I'm not saying any of us come in here with that, but it's easy to fall into sort of a what's-in-it-for-me mindset. If you're on a mission, the primary question you're asking every single week is what can I contribute to the mission? Because it matters. We're not playing church. This is a big deal People's lives, the people sitting next to you today, their lives are literally being changed. The mission is too important to get distracted. The harvest is plentiful. So what does that mean? It means that there are tens and thousands of people, and I will say this as long as I'm here, there are tens and thousands of people in the greater Des Moines metro area that don't know Jesus or don't have a church home, and until that's no longer the case, our mission is not done. Amen? And so keep inviting, keep inviting, keep inviting. That's our call as a church. And so over the past year or so, we've been kind of looking out over the city, looking out over the harvest field, per se, as Jesus would say, and saying, what are some areas of the field that we're not necessarily reaching or that we could reach more, have a greater focus on? And one of those areas that God's called us to have an increased focus on is young adults, college students, those in their 20s and 30s, not instead of other age groups or at the expense of people in other seasons of life, but simply with an increased focused. 
And so I'm going to invite uh, Chris up, our young adult minister. Welcome Chris up to the stage. Here he comes. Absolutely. And we're going to, I'm, I'm bouncing off the ropes in the ring. And as Chris is coming over, I'm bouncing out and I, I, need, I need to tap out. And I'm going to tap in. When you, Chris, there we go. We and, talked, uh, you mentioned like wrestling or like WWE, and like a, when you saw the stools, you're like, oh man, this oh, is. Oh, this is gonna get intense, right? <laughs> we're gonna throw Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't look good Some for me. Some of you are like, that's my just... kind of church, right? So, Chris, uh, talk to us a little bit about what's been going on uh, with young adults. We have a lot of uh, 20s and 30 somethings a part of our church, which is awesome. Tell us about Friday night and what's yeah. been going on with the Revive community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Revive in West Des Moines started from a service called Immersion. I don't know if anybody used to know that or, or go to that. It was like a worship service, and it was really great. And uh, there was a transition when Pastor Jeremy Johnson came on staff um, several years ago to turn that into what became Revive uh, West Des Moines yep. out there. And it was a worship service, and it was Hope, one, Hope Lutheran Church of Hope as a whole wondering what would it look like to create a ministry for folks in their 20s and their 30s. And it's not about the, it's less about the numbers of 20s and 30s and much more about the stage of life, that quarter life stage of life. Right. And uh, I was actually on that team. I was like, a, I was like 19 years old, the, the <laughs> little kid who just like gets, feels like he gets to sit in that's with right. the adults. And it was a lot of fun. And um, that's not how we're starting here. Mm -hmm. Well, the way that we're starting here is we've started with small groups. We've uh, done some life group things together, some studies, a lot of social events. And uh, as we've gotten bigger, one of the questions was, were, uh, yeah. what would it look like for this campus, for uh, Revive Des Moines, to have its own worship service? And so uh, we had our first of three preview nights uh, that we're going to have here, yeah. previewing what it, it would look like to have worship here at the Des Moines campus. Yeah, the top left was our Christmas party. Uh, bottom left was, a, uh, I, I believe, our Thanksgiving dinner. And then bottom right is just a couple of days ago. It was a whole lot of fun. We had a great turnout and... Um, it's our next one is actually going to be um, on May fourth, Star Wars Day. May the fourth be with you. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, Got it. yeah. There you it won't is. forget yep. it now. Yep. There You're it like is. this guy. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna continue to be a multifaceted ministry, and we're really excited uh, to yeah. see where that continues to go. So um, we're gonna have May fourth, and then another one in July, uh, with hopefully launching in the. Uh, hopefully in the fall, some, some more regular opportunities for worship for that community awesome. as well. And our scripture reading today talked about um, this picture of a harvest. And I don't know if that felt like icky to anyone else, because <laughs> um, sometimes it doesn't feel good to like be considered like a plant ready to be harvested. Yeah, like, I'm going to harvest you. Please don't. Yeah, that don't, don't sounds holistically unpleasant. Don't I, say that to your friends. Yeah, no. don't yeah. say that. And yeah. it, honestly, it can make people feel like projects and nobody wants to feel like that. Just so you know, that's not the intention. Uh, the way that the metaphor actually works is considering even if we're in church, even if we're not, wherever you are with the whole thing, we're all plants in this big field. And Jesus wants to get to his entire field. We're all at the mercy of the circumstances around us. And God wants to reach all of us. That's, that's how the metaphor works for us. And I, I wanted to share a little bit today and answer the question, why the increased focus on uh, Generation Y, as, as we're called? Uh, because I think we can all agree that you should have a focus on everybody, but this is a specific increased focus Obviously, you have an increased focus because you have a young adult minister. So, so here I am as an indication of that. And so I figured we would clarify some terms real quick. I'll run down some facts. You will not be able to say you didn't learn anything uh, today. So um, here, uh, here we go. Um, just make sure we all understand each other. Somebody in Generation Y, a.k.a. the dirty M-word, millennials, 
Uh, someone in Generation Y, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, are born between the years of 1982 and 2000. Naturally, the core demographic of the generation is somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, I was born in 1991. I am 26 years old, so I am smack dab in the middle of that uh, generational uh, demographic, and I am about as millennial as you can get. And trust me, we all hate the term millennial as much as you do. Um, <laughs> So we'll, we'll use Generation Y and Millennial interchangeably, and just so you know, uh, we're talking about the same thing. There you go. And each week, it seems like, on like a business site or like a business journal, you'll hear about a new way that my generation is ruining the world. Uh, <laughs> so a, welcome to the church. Right? So welcome yeah. to the church. Yeah, well, yeah. apparently we're ruining napkins, yeah. uh, the napkin industry. Apparently we're driving Applebee's out of business yeah. and like the housing market or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, point being... You, you hear, the reason I say that is because there seems to be this kind of tension between the older generations and millennials in the last few years, like more than anybody else. And it feels really new to all of us involved, but one of the points I'd like to make this morning is it's definitely not new. There's this time all the time, this period in history when the younger class of people reach a certain age against the, um, the dominant working class generations where the younger generation enters the workforce and starts making waves and changing the way that things are done. And that's always the greatest point of tension and it's happened forever. And so um, just because it's new to all of us involved, right. this is something that happens all the time. And the reason it seems to kind of have come to a head in the last couple of years is because if you do the math from, uh, so from what I said when I listed the years, it's if you, every millennial is an adult this year. Every single one. Everybody's at least 18. So we are no longer the kids on the internet anymore. <laughs> like it might have felt yeah. like that in the past. Right. Um, we're no longer that demographic. We now, a lot of us have been adults for a while, but we as a generation have reached adulthood. And so uh, one of the questions is, how do we kind of speak into that as the church? Another way to understand a generation, I, I really think this is helpful, uh, made up of two components. The first component is like that everyday universal life stages that we all have to go through regardless of when we were born. People forever. And one of those identifying times in your life is young adulthood. You're doing things like entering into the world and figuring out who you are. How do you be an adult in the, in the context that you live in? How, uh, what does it look like to claim your identity as a working person in the world? These are things that regardless of when you were born, um, if, you're, if you're going through that right now, you're like, amen. And <laughs> if, if you've already gone through that, um, however long ago, you're saying, I remember when. Right. Those are things that we all have to go through, and young adulthood is one of those, uh, those things that all generations do. Right. So that universal thing. And then the second piece of the two are the historical contexts with which we are uh, go into those stages of life in. Right. It helps to define who we are. Some examples um, for people who enter young adulthood in specific historical time periods. Uh, the lost generation of the 20s and the 30s, um, the draft happened for the world wars during people in their 20s and 30s as they were going into uh, adulthood. So um, that defined their generation forever. Uh, in the 40s and the 50s, the silent generation is named after these young adults who entered uh, adulthood during McCarthyism, kind of like when um, it was kind of a witch hunt for, who, um, for secret communists and different things. So um, very little activism, very little speaking out happened during that time to certain societal ills. They got called the silent generation because their historical context lined up with when they were in those life stages. Does that make sense? We all get defined by these things that happen, not only when we're going into adulthood, but when 
history and a certain point in which we grow up kind of speak right. into who we are. So for my generation, uh, we came into the uh, in coming to age of young adulthood, adolescence and adulthood, during the advent of personal technologies, which include the uh, proliferation of the internet, uh, smart devices, and with it a constant potentially uh, global communication culture. Uh, we, we live with that expectation. I have a watch on right now that literally buzzes whenever anyone tries to get a hold of me in any way, shape, or form. Hopefully not right now, but... No, we're good. You're busy. So, okay. um, uh, other historical contexts that raised my generation, 9-11. Uh, I was in fourth grade when 9-11 happened, and it was, it was a big deal for people in my generation to grow up with that as a kid. Uh, the ensuing war in the Middle East, the Great Recession, and the following uh, things like the uh, student loan crisis. Uh, my generation is the most overeducated, underemployed generation the world has ever seen for a lot of different reasons. And all that's to say, um, that we, as we focus on my generation as a church, that's the thing, kind of thing that we have to keep in mind. We all have these uh, identities and all generations are different. So um, as we focus on things, one major focus of why we're increasing um, the kind of ministry presence that we're doing is because every generation is unique. Because everybody's been shaped by the world around them, the specific life stage, um, all these different things, we're getting married, we're buying houses, we're starting families, we're uh, adopting cute dogs, we're doing all these different things that, you know, young adults can do. Mm -hmm. um, there are formative times. The reason that I mention all of this to you guys is because what are, one of the things that we're doing is figuring out um, at this stage of life, and everybody does it, we're figuring out what it means to be us. If you've been, ha everybody is handed an identity by who they're raised with. And a lot of that includes the church. You're handed the faith of your parents. And if you've never put that down and evaluated it and claimed it for yourself, it's not yours. So one of the things as we buy houses and get married and do all of these awesome things, what we do, what we're doing right now and the opportunity that we have for a church is to say, let's help figure out what your faith is and what that means to you. And we as a church get the opportunity with a specific ministry for people, help that be real for people in their 20s right. and 30s, maybe in a way that they haven't before. And one of the ways that we do that is use the unique gifts and characteristics of a generation um, to speak to them specifically. For example, um, we talk about uh, a lot of people who work with millennials might laugh because uh, the turnover rate is really high. We try to find a lot of different jobs. We try mm. to, we talk about how we want to make a difference. It's almost a stereotype at this point. <laughs> um, but what that actually translates to is living missionally. We care about the things around us because we see the world in, in, in such a smaller way because of the internet. Um, there's, a real, there's a huge focus on mission. Um, there's a big focus on uh, entrepreneurism, uh, bivocationality. These are things that are true about my uh, generation. My generation is far more diverse than any generation before. Um, it's 45, over 45% non-white, and um, the next generation actually below us, Generation Z, will be the first majority minority um, generation with over 50% of people not uh, non-white. And the reason that I mention all of that is that it affects the way that we see diversity. And so I just think it's really important to focus on some of these things um, as we enter into this advent of us being in the world in a specific way. And the reason I mention all of this is because we can speak to people in different life stages, regardless of where they are, and we do it all the time. 
this looks much different yeah. than Hope Kids does. Yes. And that Hope Kids looks a lot different than Power Life, <laughs> looks a lot different than Ignition, and thus looks a lot different than Revive Des Moines. And so we're endeavoring to do those things. And it's important to uh, remember this. If you hear nothing else from the crazy millennial 26-year-old that preaches at you this morning, <laughs> you're thinking, oh, man, it's that guy. Um, the methods might change. The message never does. The, the methods might change, the message, the message never does. The gospel doesn't become irrelevant for anybody. The message of Jesus, the love of Jesus, doesn't change based on when you're born. We actually think that if the good news is true in the way that we believe that it is, it can speak to you whatever stage of life, whatever historical context, and uh, we are all, we're all people in need of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the first reason. There's another reason, though, that's pretty startling and that should hit us uh, as the church in terms of a lot of people, maybe they're in the church, but for a lot of folks outside the church, maybe not the biggest fan of what we're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Historically, or uh, statistically speaking, uh, people my generation have expressed that they are very spiritual people, really interested in spirituality, even really interested in the person of Jesus. But one of the things is that they've, for some reason, for a lot of different reasons, and some of them good reasons, um, they've had trouble connecting with the local church. And thank goodness here at Hope and at other uh, good churches around, um, that's not always the case. But statistically speaking, my generation has had a hard time getting plugged in. And so um, we really do believe that it uh, applies to everyone. The gospel, the gospel can speak to those specific issues. So this, why an increased focus on Generation Y? Because people have had a hard time getting plugged in. But like I said, um, we, can, we believe that it applies, and so the question then becomes, how do we, how do we kind of pass on the next generation, right. uh, the, our faith to um, the upcoming generations, for sure? Take out. Here we go. From the prop room, you know, when Chris says, how do we pass it to the next generation, uh, I automatically think of my junior high days, when I was that old, uh, and uh, in playing I'm, football. I'm, I'm older than junior high. That's right. No, I'm not saying that old. <laughs> you know, those millennials. Those junior high kids. Which, which I am too. Yeah, uh, I'm a millennial. Uh, and so uh, we would play not Sandlot baseball, but we would play Sandlot football. <laughs> when you talk about passing it on to the next generation, I just remember so vividly that this one kid always wanted to play quarterback. And now I know why, is we would run out and we would all be wide open for a pass and he would just be looking around and holding it up like this and all of us would be out there. I just remember this, just yelling, I'm open, I'm open, pass it, pass it pass it. And he would just hold it. I'm like, what are you doing? And he would wait for the defense to come, you know, seven Apple, seven Mississippi, and then they'd rush so that he could run, right? And he would just hog the ball. And people started stopping. They stopped coming because he would just hog the ball and never pass it. It was a tragedy. And I look at that image. Pass it, pass it. We're all wide open. That is a picture of a multi-generational church, which we are. And I am so thankful for that. I know, Chris and I talk a lot, we are who we are because of people in previous generations that have poured into and invested in us. And we want to do the same for others now. We would not be who we are as a church without people from all generations. So hear me say that. Mm -hmm. But I think about just screaming out, pass it, pass it. You may never hear somebody say that. But those around you today that are in different generations than you, they are calling out to you. Don't keep your faith to yourself. Pass it. Pass it. Invest in the next generation. We got a very clear picture of that, not in a football sense, but in a real life sense of Mm -hmm. passing on faith to the next generation. 
uh, this past week. You heard uh, Pastor Mike talk a lot in last week's message about Billy Graham and his ministry. Well, his funeral service, his celebration of life was this past Friday. And actually, right there, there you can see uh, Pastor Mike and Sally were, were invited to the the funeral, they're the ones in the black suits uh, there. And uh, it's just an incredible experience. And people are saying, I mean, this was like Billy Graham's final crusade. Hmm. That his funeral almost spoke just as clear and loud for the gospel as his life did. Because person after person got up there and shared their faith over and over and over again. And, and you see that, and it was incredible. And I, you know, of all the things we could talk about with Billy Graham, here's what I want to tell you about. something you may not realize that's behind the scenes. Of those people in attendance at the funeral were his family consisting of five children, get this, 19 grandchildren, 44 great-grandchildren, and six great-great-grandchildren. So here's a picture of just his grandchildren, which are, I mean, not even, maybe some of them are, yeah, millennials are a little bit past uh, being millennials, but every single one of the kids that spoke at the funeral pointed directly to Jesus Christ. Many of these folks that you see up there have gone into ministry to be missionaries, to be pastors, to start Christ-centered businesses, mm-hmm. to be active in their faith and their community. So many of the great-great-great-great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren have professed faith in Jesus Christ and are the devoted followers of Jesus. And then it hit me. Billy Graham's greatest ministry might not have happened yet. It might still be to come. In one of those people, or in one of the 250 million people that heard him preach the gospel in his lifetime. The mark of a great leader is that your fruit grows on other people's trees. The fruit of your life. Because your greatest impact on the world, and I want you to hear me say this this morning, Your greatest impact in the world might not be something you do, but someone you raise or somebody that you invest in. This has, yes, it has something to do with being parents of of kids that are still under your care and in your home, but every single one of us is called to invest in the people around us in the next generations. We're God's family. That means that those kids in Hope Kids right now and in the nursery, they're our kids. They're God's kids because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Billy Graham passed on the faith, even if he would have never preached a sermon and never gone into full-time ministry, he passed on the faith. One of his daughters says, the Billy Graham that you saw in front of millions on television and around the world is the same Billy Graham that was in my living room growing up as a little girl. That's what it means to invest in the next generation because it's who he was, not something that he does. I wonder who passed on the faith to you. Every single one of you is here today because somebody took you seriously before you were quote unquote an adult, before you, when you were coming of age and you didn't have it all figured out and you were a mess. Somebody, I think it was Pastor Mike, had a great idea putting some 25 year old punk kid in charge of a church at one point 10 years ago, right? Somebody took you seriously, and you're here today because somebody invited you. You're here today because somebody invested in you, and I pray that we would be a church that sees that. I love it every single week, and one of the things I love about you as a church is that in our, it takes so many volunteers to do what we do in our children's ministry with Hope Kids and in our uh, nursery and in uh, our student ministries on Wednesday night. So many of our volunteer leaders don't have kids in those age groups. Because they haven't bought into a lie that I'm only going to invest in kids when I have kids. But we've taken that, that role and that posture as a church of like, we are going to purposely invest in, invest in the next 
generation. Do you know, you know, in our Lenten prayer partner thing that we have going on right now, do you know who's praying for a lot of the kids and who's praying for our teenagers? The young adult group. Because it's never too early to start passing on the faith. It's not just for older generations. It's for all of us. All of us are called to be invested in and to invest as well. So the second big reason this increased focus, we got to pass on the faith. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hold it. But wait, there's more. Boy, is there. Um, There... As we continue to talk about the main point being passing it on to the whole, to the whole field, all the generations, the, the third main reason here is that if we're, if we're using that field metaphor, most of the field yeah. would be folks that fit in this, gener- uh, in this demographic, uh, which means that if the whole field is the church, we're not just the future of the church, we're the church right now. And I think that's an important piece to give uh, to, give to an upcoming generation is that it's no longer are we just the future, it's, it's now. And our opportunity to act and get plugged into the church is now. Um, there are more millennials, uh, generation Y, whatever you want to call us, there's more of us than any other genera- single generation. It's statistically just the fact. A fun fact, there are more, actually more 22-year-olds uh, in the United States last year than any other specific age. Just more 22-year-olds, so it's a good time to be 22. 22. Eric, our sound guy who loves when I point him out specifically, <laughs> uh, is 22 years old, so um, he is a great example of that. And Iowa was actually one of the few states uh, in the last couple years that got younger, statistically. And one of the reasons that is is because Des Moines' business is booming. Like, Des Moines is, uh, percentage-wise, the fastest-growing city in the Midwest. Not the Twin Cities, not Chicago, Des Moines. Because so much industry is coming to Des Moines, so much is happening around Des Moines. Those of us who grew up around here know it, and we love it, and Des Moines is a city that's exploding. And you wouldn't think of, this isn't just for the working class as well, you think of, uh, you don't think of Des Moines as a college town, you think of uh, Iowa City or Ames as the major college towns in Des Moines, or in, in Iowa, but look at Des Moines. Des Moines has Grandview, Drake, Simpson, DMU, DMACC. Although those aren't huge schools, those are thousands of college students that also fit in this demographic of young adults figuring out what it means in that quarter life stage uh, of figuring out what it means and who they are in this world. And I'm so excited because Des Moines, or uh, Revive in West Des Moines has been such a fantastic ministry speaking to people for years. And we've really uh, felt the call of God to extend that to this area of downtown as it continues to grow and explode, not just for young adults, but for college students and for all of these people in this demographic as we, as we go into the future. So we're excited to see where all that goes. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Let's thank Chris for everything that he's doing with young adults. Absolutely. You know, there's been a lot of talk today about the younger generations and kind of painting a picture of what kind of church where we're going to be. And I remember when we first started as a church, uh, when we were the artist formerly known as City Branch, as I like to say, uh, people were asking me when I first came on staff, so John, like hope starting a church in the city, like, so what kind of a church are we going to be? People wanted to just smack a label right on top of us. Like if we could only be one thing, like you're going to be the, the church for young families, you know, where people can bring their kids and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe. No, 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 maybe. Are you going to be like the, the, the hip and, and trendy church, you know, the young adult church and everything? I'm like, well, first of all, I, I'm just not that cool. We, we, can't, we can't do that. Uh, so we got to find something else like, oh, no, 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 you'll, you're in the city. You're going to be like the social justice church and you're going to reach out and feed the poor and clothe the naked. And, and, and do all these social justice initiatives and like, yeah, well, we might do some of that, but I don't think that should necessarily define us. 
as a church. And I got to thinking about that more and more, and I just thought, you know, if Jesus is for everybody, then we got to be a Jesus church, first and foremost. Because Jesus loves college students, and Jesus loves young adults, and Jesus loves students, and Jesus loves kids, and that's why we do the programming and the student and the young adult programming that we do. That's why we have VBS and Hope Kids and Daddy-Daughter Dances and Vacation Bible School. God loves teenagers. God loves young adults. God loves singles. God loves marrieds. God loves widows. God loves divorce. God loves those that are nearing retirement. God loves those that are hurting and broken and in recovery. God loves those that are starving and don't know where they're going to get their next meal. God loves creative folks. God loves artists. And we're called to be a Jesus church. And Jesus becomes our primary motivation for doing all those ministries and all those individual things that we do here at Hope for every single generation. Because we don't worship a worship style or a season of life, we worship a Savior. We don't worship a worship style, a generation, a season of life, or a certain way of doing ministry. We are a Jesus church. And so we worship Him. Because at the end of the day, we have way more that unites us than divides us. We have way more in common than we do separate. After all this talk about all these generations today, you know what's always relevant? The gospel. That cross, which is why we have a giant cross in front of our church. I'll never forget the first time I brought our son in there in here, and he looked at it, he was about two years old, he went, Whoa, Daddy, that's a big cross. <laughs> yeah, it's there for a reason so that you would never forget that the love of Jesus Christ never goes out of style. Amen? And that's why we do what we do. But we love, the world loves to draw up boundaries and put up walls and, and, and barriers. But hopefully you realize as you connect with people after worship, which I hope you do, I hope you intentionally find people that you don't know, that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't talk like you, don't live where you do. And you get to know them, and you're going to find out oh, you know those one people I used to kind of like look across the room or purposely avoid after church and like look at them and go, those people? Maybe it doesn't have to be us and those people. It can just be us. The church is the one place where we can be us. And you can be loved and accepted for who you are, not where you should be. We're not all that different. And I came across this uh, commercial, actually, a couple months ago. Uh, it's from Denmark, so pardon the, the, uh, the um, accent here a little bit. But I just think it's the nail on the head of how we love to divide people up into boxes. And at the end of the day, maybe it's just us. Maybe we're not that all different after all. Let's take a look. Those Danes and their darn commercials, I'll tell you what. Sometime we're going to do that. We're going to end the service that way. I'm going to have you all go into your boxes that you think you fit in and that you have to stay in. And then we're just going to start asking questions. And I love that line. And then all of a sudden, there's just all of us, not that love Denmark, but that love Jesus Christ and are a part of his mission. God's heart is that we would be united as a church. And something the enemy would love to do is to drive those wedges between us to say, I'm not like them, and I don't live where they do, and they don't look the same way I do, and they don't sing the songs the same way that I do, and they're different than me, and the enemy would love to drive those wedges, but Jesus says, let's be united even in our differences, in our generations, in our different ministries, in whatever service here you happen to attend. We're one body with one mission, 
And yet at the same time, because we're diverse, because we're different, God has uniquely wired you up to reach people that nobody else can reach. You are actually better equipped to reach some people than we are on staff that actually get paid to do ministry. Because when the pastor shows up, everybody's like, oh, the pastor's here, right? But when you show up, they're like, wow, this is real. This is legit. This is somebody like me that's demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us is called to the harvest field. The question is, what row is it for you? What part of the field has God called you to? You see, often we think that to be on mission for God that I have to like go on a mission trip that you hear talk about or go overseas. But what if the mission is in our own backyard? Some of you are millennials. Some of you are generation Y, just like myself. And you have people that want nothing to do with the church, but they're really interested in Jesus. Would you tell them? Would you go to them? Would you reach them where they are and not where they should be? People can encounter Jesus anywhere, anytime. Meet them where they're at that would draw them into Christian community. Some of you, a lot of folks at our previous service, to be honest, live in temporary housing, and maybe some of you are as well. God's put you in that place, whether it's ideal or not, for a reason, and there's people around you that need to know the love of Jesus. Some of you that are parents spend a lot of time on bleachers these days, and you spend a lot of time in auditoriums and seats and at show choir and at soccer and at t-ball and baseball and basketball and all these things. Do you know that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of other parents sitting around you that are exhausted and overwhelmed and wondering if they can make it through the next week? And they need to know about this person, Jesus, who offers hope and rest. God's given you a job for a reason, and there's people sitting around you today, there's people sitting around you at your workplace tomorrow morning that their marriage is on the rocks, and they're really struggling, and they need to know that Jesus is for them, that he hasn't given up on them. Some of you are in or nearing or past retirement, and nobody's talking about it because you don't want to admit it, but all of you are asking the same question, who am I now? If my identity is not in what I do, then who am I as a 65, 70, 75, 80-year-old? Who am I in Christ apart from my job? Could you love each other through that? Could you support each other? We need each other as a multi-generational church. Whatever part of the field God has called you to, there's a really good chance it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. And that actually might be exactly where you need to be. As followers of Jesus, every single one of us is a farmer, a harvester called to the field. And our challenge to you is to find your place because the mission is worth it. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel. It's a mission that Billy Graham dedicated his entire life to, 99 years, preaching right up into his final breath. He would have his oldest daughter, Anne, one of his daughters, Anne, sit by his bedside, knee to knee, when he couldn't speak or talk or barely hear, and just have her read scripture to him over and over again. And he said, because I need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. So if you come to church sometime and say, yeah, I've heard that, just remember Billy Graham saying, I need to, I need to hear the story again. I need to be reminded that I'm loved. And I dedicate my life to it. It is a mission that's so important that Jesus... <laughs> left the comfort of heaven to come down and that he thought you were so valuable and so important and want you to know how loved you are today that he gave his life for it. It's our mission as a church 
to not just let those that come here every single week, but those that aren't here yet, they need to know that there is a God who loves them, who takes their sin and their guilt and their shame and their death and in exchange are offered life in Jesus Christ, both now and forever. That, my friends, is the gospel, and that never, never grows old or goes out of style. Amen? Find your place in the field. The mission is worth it. Let's stand and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion.